finishing a series we actually started last week called Reroute My Thinking. Reroute My Thinking. Uh, this comes from Journey 2. It's, uh, it actually is part of the DNA of this church. Uh, Relate isn't just the name of our church. Relate is an acronym. Okay? And R is the first step that we take in that acronym. It's a, it's a process of dealing with our relationships good and properly, God's way. God has to live forever. Has to. He doesn't have a choice. He's God. Now let that sink in. And if anybody has to do things right without living with remorse, without living with, with guilt, it's God. Because he doesn't get a do-over. You and I get to go to heaven at some point and we get to, whew, glad that's over, right? All of those failures, all of those mistakes, all of the stuff, we get to have a do-over. But God doesn't. And so God lives his life in such a way that he enjoys it and he feels good about it. And he does things right always. Why? Because he has to live forever. And so when we begin to live our lives and begin to do things in respect of who He is, that's a big thing. And that means that you and I are going to begin to enjoy our lives a lot better than we have. All right. So rerouting our thinking is the first step when it comes to dealing with conflict and dealing with any kind of negative emotion and problem and struggle that we've got going on in our lives. So that's what this series is about. It's just particularly on the very first step of relate. So today our topic is this, changing the abundance of my heart. Changing the abundance of my heart. There's a scripture that goes along with that, and we'll get to that in just a little bit, right? But deep inside of you, changing the abundance of your heart. Why do we do the things that we do? The things that we don't want to do, we do them, don't we? And the things that we want to do, the good things in life, we are like, oh, that would be great if I did that. I would help somebody. I would take care of somebody. I would do this for God. I would do this for the church. I would do this for my neighbor. Those things, why don't we do them? And, and when we do the things that we don't want to do, we're like, oh, what is wrong with me? Am I the only one that asks that question? And then when there's the opportunity to do something good and I don't do it, I'm like, ah, oh, what is wrong with me? Why didn't I do that? I had the great opportunity to do that and I, I blew it, right? What is wrong with me? Well, here's the good news. You're in good company. All of us are that way, but beyond that, the great apostle Paul was that way. Paul was so open and honest about this. And we don't know the specifics of what he was dealing with in his life when he wrote what I'm about to read to you. But we do know this, that it's all the same as what we're dealing with to this day. He said this in talking to the church in Rome, all right? So he wrote this to the, Romans church, the Roman church, and he conjectured after what he had just said, what he had just written in, in his letter to them. You understand, he was sitting in prison when he wrote this, all right? He was in prison for, for, for sharing Christ and doing what he had done with the gospel, trying to communicate the gospel of Christ. So he's sitting in this, this uh, Roman prison, actually, and he, he sends a letter to the church of Rome. And he's, in this letter, he says all of these things, and in response to this, 
he says, I would suspect that you would ask me this question. And he goes on and says, I know that, he says, here's your question. We know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. So he's saying, all right, based on what I've just said, you're probably going to say this. We know that all of God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. How many of you have ever felt that way? I know all God's commands are good. I know that he's told me not to do this and not to do this, not to do this, that I need to do this, that I need to do this, but I'm not spiritual. And he says that they would ask him the question, isn't this also your experience? And look at how open and honest he is. He says, yeah, (laughs) that's my experience too. I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. Can anybody feel what the Apostle Paul is saying here? So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. So what is he saying? He's saying, I can't trust me to do what is good and right, and not only that, but to find out what is good and right. And that's why it's so important for us to have what God has written for us to say, all right, here are the good things in your life and here are the bad things in your life. The law helps us to know the difference between good and evil. So he's saying, it helps me. God says, all right, this is good, this is bad for you. All right, I, I hear it, God, and I want to I want to make that mine. And he says, but I need something more. It's one thing to know what's good and bad, but I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me. How many of you have ever felt that way? And gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. Boy, that describes our lives, doesn't it? The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. The moment I decide I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church, sin trips me up, right? The moment I decide that I'm going to do something good for somebody, sin trips me up. But but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. I truly delight in God's commands, but not all of me truly delights in that, right? It's obvious, So what do we do? We look at these things that God has said are good and the things that God says are bad, and we delight in them. We sit in church, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's great. We don't murder people. That's wonderful, right? We sit in church, and we're like, yes, we're not going to commit adultery. That's a wonderful, wonderful value. That's good. He says, but not all of me apparently delights in that because I continue to fail God over and over. He says, parts of me, this is so important, parts of me, are covertly rebelling, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. There's something inside of me that's sabotaging me, and it's covertly rebelling, right? So Paul recognized that he was was going on, something was going on deep inside of him that was working against him, and he says, listen, I love God's ways, 
I love God. I even agree with God's laws. I agree with God's laws. But something deep within me is secretly working against me on this. So Paul was dealing with the same thing you and I are dealing with. And here's, here's, here's what it is. His corrupt heart. His corrupt heart. What did Jeremiah say about our corrupt heart? Desperately wicked and beyond cure. You're not going to hear that on a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Trust your heart. Follow your heart. You'll find the way. That's what the world teaches us. But what Jeremiah said is the heart is desperately wicked, deceitfully. All right, and, uh, and wicked above all things. It's from the heart that our corrupt thinking is found, and it's from our corrupt thinking that we eventually have corrupt behavior. All right, so we have a corrupt heart, brings us corrupt thinking, and then it brings us corrupt behavior. That's the way it works. Heart, thoughts, behavior. All right, so our corrupt heart and our corrupt thoughts bring corrupt behavior. Here's how the corrupt heart and mind work co covertly. When you, you don't even know what's happening, right? To get you to do things that you don't even want to do. How many of you want to sin and destroy our lives? We don't want that, right? But we go out here and there's tasty cakes down the road. I need to go get some, right? As soon as we get out of church, as soon as we get out of God's presence, right? It just hits us. All right, so I'm just going to use this as an example. I'm not going to just be picking on one specific thing here. All of our sin and all of the things that we do to destroy our lives and our relationships is the same thing. So don't just think that I'm just picking on one specific sin here, all right? So say, let's talk about this one because it's so easy. Say you wanted to stop drinking or you, did, you decided, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm not going to drink any more alcohol. Deep within, because why? It's destroying your relationships maybe, all right? And, and the scripture says, don't get drunk, right? That's, that's God's command. So this is one of those things that, that, uh, that you could choose to do in your life. Deep within your heart, your corrupt heart and mind knows how to get you from where you are to where you'll get a drink. And it normally isn't a direct path straight to it, all right? You're sitting in church, you're like, all right, man, this is going to be a good week. I'm pumped up. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do good things this week, and everything's great. And when you walk out the door, you're not going to find yourself in a bar five minutes later. It's just not going to happen. Here's how it works, though. If your body wants a drink, and you know it will ruin you, and it will be the end of something good in your life, your body won't tell you that it's doing this. It's covertly working behind the scenes. Your corrupt heart and your mind are working together, and it sets a plan in motion, and it's a multiple-stage plan, and it, it brings what I call a mess into your life. And that's what our sin does. It brings mess into our lives, right? 
And covertly, your brain is working behind the scenes. Don't, 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 right? It's like, if I take them here and here and here, and you've got these different stages, you're going to find yourself at a place where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what am I doing? Why did this happen? All right, so here's, here's, here's what it is. It's mess. Mess is what you've got. This is how it works. M is this. You misinterpret to create a pain, all right? So this is the first step. Then E is exaggerate the pain. And S is set a trap. And the other S is seal the deal, all right? So let's talk about it for just a minute. The first step for your brain, for your corrupt heart and your brain to work together, your thoughts to get you to, to do what you don't want to do is you want to, you want to misinterpret to create a pain. In other words, anything that anybody says you could misinterpret it so that you could say, oh, that hurt. Why did they say that to me? Oh, they were thinking about something else that I know they weren't being forthright with me. And your brain starts misinterpreting whatever it is that was said so that you could have a pain. You can interpret it as a pain. And your brain will pick up on any reason to interpret what somebody says or a person does that, that makes you feel painful. They don't, well, they didn't text me back. What's wrong with them? They must be mad at me. They must, they must have misunderstood me. Or they turned and walked away. Did you see that? They turned and just walked walked away from me and they probably didn't even see you but that is something that goes through our brain oh I just interpret it so that I can have a pain in my life or your boss makes a leadership decision and it wasn't personal but you took it personal and and you said oh I can't believe that they're doing this to me so we misinterpret the things around us so that we can feel pain anybody ever done that all right so that's the first stage so that you can get what your body what your what your what your flesh is craving right so second step is exaggerate the pain exaggerate the pain so you've got the pain now your corrupt heart and your brain will begin to exaggerate things in a negative way everything becomes personal now not only do you misinterpret what people are actually saying but now you exaggerate it to make it more than it really was and your brain is looking for things to build a case so that everything and everyone in the world is going haywire so you can say well look everything's just you know everything is just falling apart the world is just falling apart and you can build a case so that why it doesn't matter if i go off the rails too if everyone else is off the rails, I might as well just go off the rails too. And then I can do what I want. All right. So your brain is doing this inside of you. You will take on other people's offenses. Man, did you hear what they did to them? Ah, that's wrong. And you'll take on other people's offenses so that you can exaggerate the pain in your life so that you can begin to move that direction. You'll even turn on the news and watch it all day just to hear all the negatives so that you can exaggerate the pain so that you can eventually have what you want and build your case. All right. So then C is set the trap. Now this is this is an interesting part. Now it's time to set a trap for yourself. Did you know that you set traps for yourself? This is where you corrupt, your corrupt heart and mind get you to engage in a situation that is sure to make you a victim. You'll reach out to somebody that you know is going to be full of conflict. You know it's going to set you off. You'll text that ex just so that they can go off on you. 
and engage in that kind of discussion. The, the, that coworker that you know is snarky and going to be mean to you. You'll, you'll call them and, or you'll get them on the phone or you'll send them an email, just whatever, to create some kind of argument, some kind of conflict, and leaves you feeling lonely. You'll push your spouse, spouse's buttons, right? You know exactly what buttons to push for your husband or your wife, just to get them mad at you so that, oh, I'm the victim. That's how our brain works. We set a trap for ourselves. You'll miss church. Or you'll miss doing something that you're committed to do and it leaves you feeling lonely. Or you didn't say hi to anybody and it's everyone else that's not saying hi to me. Or you'll suddenly find yourself hurting deeply over a loss. And look, I I understand what it means to hurt deeply over a loss. But I will find myself suddenly hurting deeply over a loss, over the loss of my wife, right? And I, I will find myself and I'll have to stop and think, all right, what is my brain trying to do, trying to allow me to... To convince myself it's setting a trap for me to feel like it's okay for me to do something that I don't want to do. Or to keep me from doing something that I know that I should do. And when you start realizing that your brain is working against you to try to keep you from doing the good or to try to get you to do the bad, that's a, that's a huge step in your life. And the fourth, the fourth um, stage of this is you gotta, it, it, your brain's going to seal the deal. And that is, suddenly, you're going to find yourself out of your right mind and in motion to give your body what it wants. And in this case, suddenly, you'd find yourself in a bar, you'd find yourself in a liquor store, and you're like, wait a second, how did I get here? I was just in church last Sunday, you know, like two days ago. And your brain took you from church to this step, to this step, to this step, and then boom. I deserve it. Anybody been there? Are you following me? It's one step at a time, and it's your brain, it's your corrupt heart, covertly working against you to keep you from doing what God wants you to do with your life. And it will bring you to ruin every time. It'll destroy your relationships. People will lose trust in you, and I'll, you know, it's, it's awful. It's awful. So in this series... What we want to grab onto is the ability to do what the Apostle Paul talked about. He said, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Why? Because every thought that you and I have is suspect. And we've got to take captive every thought, otherwise we're going to ruin our lives, we're going to bring our relationships to ruin. And we'll find ourselves doing the things that we don't want to do and not doing the things that we want to do. You say, well, John, how's this going to help me today? This is going to change your life. This will change your life. If you let it. If you'll begin to work on what's happening in your head and in your heart. If you begin to, to change the abundance of your heart. Greater things are going to come out of your mouth, right? Right? Good things are going to come out of your life. Your relationships will be better. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better friend, a better husband, a better wife. You'll be better at everything. If you begin to do this, change what's in the abundance of your heart.
your life will change. You can actually have a relationship with God. Starting right now. Well, John, you don't know where I've been and what I've done. I've got all these problems. I've got all this stuff in my life. I've got these hang-ups. I've got this addiction. No, 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 no. You can start right now where you are. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for you. And you've got to start somewhere. And you might as well start now. Well, wait, I, I need to clean up my life a little bit. Okay, well, did you ever clean fish before you catch them? Let God catch you, and he'll clean you up. Right? And please know this, too, that I'm not talking to you today from the throne of success. I'm just like you. And the only reason I know this stuff is because I'm trying to learn it myself. And this is what the Apostle Paul went through. And so we're all in this together. This week, a 21-year-old young lady, she was a star basketball player in Dallas in her high school. She's 21 years old. And she was playing a basketball game with a 31-year-old acquaintance friend. And she whooped him playing basketball. He had his kids there. And he put his kids in the car. He was furious. He lost it. I just got beat by a girl. He became enraged. Put his kids in the car. Took them home. And went inside and got a gun went back to the basketball court and found that 21-year-old girl and he shot her dead. Right here in Dallas. This week. What, what in the world? You see, here's what happened. This guy had murder in his heart, his corrupt heart. And he went through the stages that I just talked with you about. He misinterpreted the situation he exaggerated it, right? His corrupt heart even set a trap. If you play basketball with this girl and she wins, that's a problem, that's a trap. And then what? He sealed the deal. And you know what's, what's interesting? In those moments... And you could hear probably in the car as he's driving home, the kids were probably saying, ha ha, dad got beat by a girl in basketball. Filling him more and more and more. Exaggerating it more and more and more. To the place where he absolutely believed the entire world would think you were justified in doing what you did. Anybody would do what you did. She beat you at a basketball. That's how corrupt a heart can become. And that's what we have to be careful of. We can do this kind of same stuff in, in, in our own homes, in our own lives, in so many other ways. It's not just about murder, right? 
It's about how we end up dealing and processing the threats of life and whether or not we're going to reroute our thinking, whether or not we're going to love the people around us and and congratulate the people around us and take care of the people around us. But you know what? I, I guarantee you that guy didn't know that all of that was going on in his corrupt heart. Now that's an extreme case, but it's all the same. He got threatened and his thinking gave him permission to murder this girl. So here's what I'm saying. Your sin begins in your heart and in your mind. It's all in your head. That's where your sin is. Your actions are simply the result of your sin. And this is where we fail in our thoughts. We get threatened. We don't reroute our thinking. We don't grab onto our values, and we lose our minds. So here's what some of Jesus had to say about it. You know, Jesus was brilliant. Did you know that? He was brilliant. The stuff that Jesus said 2,000 years ago that our scientists are just now validating like this, it's pretty amazing. And, and we'll talk more about the science of the brain next week. It's going to be an awesome, awesome Sunday. Plan to be here for that. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, don't murder. I'm telling you that anyone who so much is, 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 is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. What's Jesus talking about? He says, it's not about the murder. It's about what was in his heart beforehand. Just being angry, right? So Jesus backed it up and he says, man, the murder was just the result of what happened in the heart. And then he says the same thing about adultery. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's he talking about? He's talking about the corrupt heart. We've got to deal with the corrupt heart. Otherwise, it comes out over here. Later on, in the, later in this sermon, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this about our thinking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? What is he saying? He's saying, don't let worry be a part of your corrupt heart. You're so worried about eating and drinking and surviving and taking care of your own self that you're going to miss out on some good things. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, but and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, reroute your thinking. Look at what God has provided for the birds of the air and the things of the, 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 of the field. He says, man, reroute your thinking and think about what God is doing for them. And don't you know he'll take care of you as well? He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So this corrupt heart can keep you stuck in a selfish mode and in a self-survival mode. He says, it's time to shift your thinking to knowing that God is going to take care of you. It's a decision that you make in your heart. So Jesus is talking about your thinking, how you process your thoughts, and how your thoughts determine what you do. So Jesus said it another way this day, on another day. He said this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's another version. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For the mouth speaks what the heart 
is full of. We've got to change the abundance of our heart. Change the abundance of your heart. What's in your heart? I'll tell you what's in your heart. What you've been saying. What you've been doing. Where you've been going. So what does all this mean? Your inner beliefs determine your outer griefs. Your inner beliefs determine your outer griefs. When you let your negative thoughts and your wrong interpretations of life fester and they become beliefs, you're headed for trouble. You've got to reroute your thinking, right? So what, Je- what Jesus was saying here is this. You have to decide to store up good things in your heart. What are you storing in your heart? Everything coming into your body, into your life, what is it? Your, you've got your five senses, right? You've got your hearing. What else do we have? Sight, smell, taste, and touch. Right? So all of your senses are continually taking stuff in. Okay? Anybody know what a filter is? a coffee filter, right? Put some grounds in there and you know you can pour pour water in and the good stuff, the drugs come out the bottom, right? It's a filter, right? And here's what some people do. Some people filter out the good And all that's coming into their hearts is the bad. Someone pays them a compliment. Oh, I like your shirt today. What do they want? (laughs) They filter out the good and only the bad comes into their heart, right? If someone tries to teach them something, who do they think they are? Acting like I don't know nothing. We only let the good in, the, the bad in, right? Anything said about God? Oh, God doesn't love me. Just let the bad in. We filter the good out. Compliments stays out. Truth stays out. Let's just let the bad stuff. You know, and all the while we're we're filtering out the good. We're letting all the unhealthy stuff, the bad stuff, the negative stuff, the angry stuff, the the we watch the news all day and people at work are talking bad about the people around. We just let that stuff, oh man, that let it in. Let it in. And we filter all the good that's out. All, we filter all the good out. What kind of heart is that person going to have? You're going to have a corrupt heart. It's going to be a hardened heart eventually, right? They go around feeling like victim all the time. Now listen, some people are victims. I get that. 
right? And I'm not talking about people that are truly a victim here. I'm talking about people who filter out the good and only let the bad into their hearts. And, and, and that's not a victim. That's some self-martyr for an ignoble purpose, you know? We're not going to do that, amen? We're going to let the good stuff come into our lives. You can, and, and listen, you can know who these people are because all they talk about is the bad. All they can think about is the bad. They hold on to every hurt that's in their life. Every pain from their childhood, they hold on to it. Everything that anybody did that they should have never done to them, they hold on to it. Why? Because they're just holding on to the bad in their heart. And their heart becomes harder and harder and more corrupt. And that's why we can't fight against the things that we shouldn't be doing and, the thing, and we can't do the things that we should be doing. You've got to let go. You know, and it's as, it's as though we're holding on to stuff that we're angry about that other people have done to us because eventually somebody's going to pay me for this. It's just not true. Well, there is one hope. The only hope that you have of anyone blessing you for your pain is if you turn it over to God. And it's called forgiveness. You forgive somebody. And you say, God, you take care of them. You deal with them. God, I give it to you. You see, the brain is tricky. And you've got to reroute your thinking to keep it from destroying you. But here's the challenge this week. This week, you're going to have to choose to do this. I'm going to filter out the bad and only allow the good into my heart. It's a decision that you can make. I'm going to filter out the bad. The bad's going to stay there. And I'm going to let the good drip into my heart. That's the decision that you got to make. And when, listen, when you filter what comes in, you don't have to filter what comes out. When you filter what comes in, you don't have to filter what comes out. Because it's coming from what? A heart that's been cleansed, a heart that's been purified. Every situation and every moment this week, choose to only let the good come in. James David, would you come? So where do you begin? You got to reroute your thinking. You got to rewrite the story. Don't take in the bad. Give the bad over to God. When bad memories flood your mind, you struggle with a bad memory. When the bad memories flood your mind, what do you do? You flush it out and give it over to God. God, I give it over to you. What they did shouldn't have been done. God, I give you that person that hurt. God, I give you that situation that happened. God, I give you what they did to me. They're yours. And what the enemy has meant for bad, God, I know that you'll turn for good. It's a statement of faith. What does that do? It lets good into your heart. So I want to end by reading this passage from Paul again. Only this time with his conclusion on the matter. He said, I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? That's what the people were asking him, he thought. He said, yeah. I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. 
What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted in, to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. The answer, thank God, is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that awesome? God's the answer. He is the answer. Did you ever find yourself over here off the rails and you go how did I do this again God's the answer he wants to pull you back in and he wants to heal your heart maybe you're here today and your heart's hard or maybe all you can feel and see is the negative your heart is corrupt Today's the day to start to hear and see the good. It's a choice. It's a choice. What does the filter of your life filter out? Are you going to let the good come through? Or are you just going to hold on to the bad? It's your life. It's your choice. Your choice. And today, God says... I will come into your life. Have you filtered him out? Have you filtered him out? Or have you let him in? Would you bow your heads? If you let him in, God will come in and he'll begin to soften your heart. His goodness comes in. Good things come in. His peace. His love. His joy. His comfort. His forgiveness. That you're able to forgive those who have hurt you. It floods in. And God wants to touch your life today. If you'll let Him.
Say, God, I don't want to filter you out of my life anymore. I invite you to come in. I want your goodness in my life. I haven't accepted you. The things that I've heard about you, I've rejected. And I invite you to come in. I, I don't want to filter out the bad or the good anymore in my life. I want to filter the bad. I want, I want you to come in and fill my heart and my life right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you so much that you're so willing to come into our lives, to flood into our lives when we open the door. And right now, I believe that somebody's doing that. Come in and create in them a new heart, a new life. We all need you. We need your goodness. We need your grace. We need your peace. We need your comfort. And so, Father, we ask you to come. Do what you do best in a relationship with us. And today we ask you to help us, God, to do what you've called us to for the rest of our lives. God, that we wouldn't let our corrupt hearts and our corrupt mind rule us. But we would be better. Better in our relationships. Better in our marriages. Better with our kids. Better with our parents. Better at work. All of it, God. We want to be better people because of you belonging inside of us. So we invite you in, the goodness of God, to come inside of us today in a very special way. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Amen. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, if you would, just give me another second. Maybe you're here today and you accepted Christ into your life. You let good come in. It's the first time, maybe the first time in a long time that you've connected your heart with God. Right where you are until, or if you would, just look up at me until my eyes catch yours, if that was you. All right, all right, all right, all right. Anybody else? You let the goodness of God into your life today. Amen, amen.